0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. Today on Interlinks, we're going to repeat the format that we initiated last month of taking a deeper dive into the world of the supply chain with a group of international experts, all colleagues of mine from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. We're going to hear a lot about supply chains in 2021, not least because they will be swinging into action around the world in the rollout of the various COVID vaccines that are being approved. And on top of that, they're an essential concern of the sustainability agenda of international businesses as they, their customers and their investors become ever more sensitive to the environmental impacts of their activities. Supply chains will also be heavily impacted here in Northwestern Europe, in the countries that trade most with the UK, such as France, Belgium, Netherlands, Denmark uh, and Ireland, and of course the UK itself, when the UK Brexit transition period uh, ends at the end of this month, whether or not there is uh, a deal. So to discuss these issues, I'm delighted to be joined by Antonio Zrill- Managing Director of the Supply Chain Consultancy Logico in Zagreb, Croatia. Welcome, Antonio. Hi.
1: Nice to be here.
0: Thanks, Antonio. Uh, Mark Wolf, CEO of Lava Fish Advisors, a consultancy specializing in helping businesses address their sustainability ambitions based in New York City. Welcome, Mark.
2: Thank you, Patrick. It's a pleasure to be here and join all of you.
0: Thank you, Mark. And Lisa Anderson, President of LMA Consulting Group, located in the greater Los Angeles area in California. Welcome, Lisa.
3: All right. Thanks. Glad to be
0: here. Uh, Thank you all for being here with us today. And uh, thanks especially to Lisa on the West Coast of the U.S. for being here at what I think is 7 a.m. local time as we record today. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Okay, then, Lisa, if I can start with you. Um, This week, the rollout of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine kicks off in the U.S. Uh, It started in the U.K. last week. And the approval by the European Medical Authority here in the EU is, is imminent. And uh, I read recently that the world produces something in the ballpark of three to four billion vaccine doses per year for all illnesses. And for COVID alone, we now face the challenge of producing 12 billion doses as quickly as possible. So w- what do you see as the major supply chain and logistical challenges that we will, will, will be encountered as we try to roll this thing out globally?
3: Well, undoubtedly, there's, uh, as you just pointed out, there's a um, bottleneck here in terms of capacity. Uh, with that said, though, you know, this has been a uh, uh, in the works for quite some time, and so there are um, good plans uh, to roll this out. We have uh, close coordination between the manufacturing facilities, uh, the um, air transportation, uh, we have the uh, distribution uh in place already. And we have um, pharmacies, et cetera, that are going to be rolling out the vaccine to the public. So there's been a lot of uh, work done already in advance uh, to make sure that this rollout is a success. So I think that they've planned Uh, Plan this out um, carefully. And so we'll be, you know, we'll be in good shape, even though there is a a capacity spike, to your point. Mm
0: -hmm. And um, how is it going to be done in the in the US? Will it involve public agencies? Will it involve the private sector or some sort of collaboration? How are they planning to get it done?
3: It's actually going to be a public and private uh, partnership, in essence. Um, and what I think is really uh, smart about this plan is, is that it utilizes people who are expert in their fields already. So, for example, you know, Pfizer will uh, produce the vaccine. There's going to be they're taking it straight to the air carriers, such as uh, UPS, FedEx, DHL and uh, like United airlines and they'll go straight to um, you know where where it's needed since there's you know cold storage requirements um, and uh, for distribution and the other um, vaccine has different cold storage requirements and it's going to utilize the uh, distribution partner mcKesson that's that's already um involved heavily in the medical, Um, You know, in this type of uh, rollout. So it's utilizing players that are already existing. And there's actually a um, cold storage um, player that's in the, uh, you know, on the West Coast that's going to be involved as well. So like at every... Step of the supply chain, there are people involved that have been involved all along, and the uh, military is is also um, coordinating. Who are definitely logistical um, experts. So you know, I think that's been the uh, part part of this plan, if you will.
0: Yeah, the scale of it is is massive. I heard um, a radio program where they were talking about it, and they said that the volume of vaccines that is required. Would fill eight thousand um, airplanes with a hundred tons each of this stuff. So it's probably going to be one of the biggest logistical operations ever undertaken on a on a global scale. Um, Antonia, what's your own uh, view on it? What what, what do you think will be some of the some of the challenges in, in getting this done all around the world?
1: Oh, this this uh, challenge looks like uh, very big, uh, but uh, probably it won't be uh, done uh, all uh, at once. So probably it will be done in uh, in several uh, stages, and uh, and this this is also it has to be uh, in in coordinates with the uh, coordinated uh, with with the actually giving these vaccines to to the people. So. There, there will be priorities uh, of of people that, that uh, they will be uh, vaccinated, and then uh, this this will uh, also determine uh, how much uh, or how or how many uh, of of these vaccines will will have to be um, distributed and where <clears throat> and when. Yeah. So I I think uh, it is uh, doable, and uh, it. Uh, well, with, with all this uh, expertise in, in logistics, uh, it is it is very nice exercise uh, for logistics generally, but also for, for some future needs like, like this, probably. Um,
0: Mark, as the vaccine rolls out and we begin to get herd immunity in the community through vaccination, which will probably take several months, probably uh, towards the, the summer, of all the different things, changes that have happened, what do you see will remain permanent even after we have got back to some sort of normality in the world of work and the world of supply chain and so on?
2: I think there, there's um, two things that are going to remain challenges. One is, you know, we've everyone's been talking about the logistics and rolling this stuff out, and you know, there's very special, specialized refrigeration requirements. All of those things use energy, you know, Mm -hmm. airplanes airplanes use or are still flying on fossil fuels right now. So I think that there's still going to be the challenges with um, a warming planet that we have to deal with. And one of the other parts I think that's really critical to highlight on the supply chain is that you have a lot of uh, countries that are not as developed as uh, Northern Europe and North America, where um, actually maintaining refrigeration until such time as they can, is they can administer the first and then keep records and administer the second dose of the of the vaccine um, are challenges. Just like there's challenges in getting um, uh, medicines that deal with things that have been wiped out. You know, DPT shots. You know, we we take in, in developed countries diphtheria, pertussis, and um, uh, typhus. Tetanus, right? Um, you know, there's still trouble. There there's still issues with from a supply chain and a and a distribution. Getting that into countries where those those are are killing thousands of people just for lack of um, a vaccine that we know for pennies a day, pennies a dose, you know, can uh, can basically keep life keep life going. I think the other thing that's really interesting is that on the commercial side, some companies are starting to use blockchain technology to track source um, ingredient um, ingredients in the supply chain from source from small shareholder farmers in countries that are not the United States and are ending up in products manufactured in the United States. And I think blockchain um, tech has some ca- some applicability to the vaccine because you are looking at right now two vaccine suppliers, but by the end of third quarter, or sorry, the end of first quarter, we could well be looking at five, six, seven, eight vaccine suppliers and all with different requirements for um, safe transport and storage much less distribution of, of the vaccine.
0: Yeah, I guess the, the question of um, fake vaccines will come into play at some point as well and maybe blockchain technology can help us to maintain the integrity of the, of the supply chain as to what's genuine and what is uh, counterfeit, right?
2: Yeah well I, and one of, one of the concerns that I've been reading about um, and, and looking into deeply is the fact that you have a lot of people um, globally who would volunteer to be in these vaccine trials, and because they're double blind studies, they don't know whether they got the vaccine or they didn't. Although some, if it's a married couple have been able to figure out one spouse got it and the other one didn't. Um, and in a, normal, in a normal vaccine or a uh, pharmaceutical trial, you know, you have longitudinal data because the people who are originally enrolled in the trial don't know what they got and you can check in with them one year, three year, five years for efficacy of a vaccine or of, of a new drug. Well, what happens when a lot of those people decided that, that they didn't get the vaccine, they got the placebo, and they, and they go line up and go get vaccinated. So then you have a much smaller pool to understand the long-term effects. So it's the supply chain of science I'm, I'm thinking about and, and of subjects within a vaccine trial that has me a little bit more worried than counterfeit vaccines.
0: Okay. Another question for you, Mark, specifically. Uh, it seems that the sustainability agenda is really gaining traction now in a serious way uh, among the leaders of big corporates as well as nation states. And uh, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock Investment Corporation, which I think they have some, something like $7 trillion under management, he has said that sustainability is, is now the top issue for investors. So that's really getting a lot of attention. So
2: in, in your view, why is he saying this and why is he doing it now? Well, the truth of the matter is, is over the past decade, there have been a bunch of researchers who have basically proven that companies that are top-notch on es g concerns yield better returns on investment than those who didn't. And 10 years ago, that was not an easy sell or, or a given. And I think what... Um, larry fink is realizing because of the efforts of people like michael bloomberg and the financial standards boards is that if companies are not being held accountable for this then their longer term viability as an entity that can return value to shareholders is um under under stress and strain so i think he's looking at it from a. I um i mean he's he's talking about in the best interest every, of everyone but it's really driven by um, we have capital and we need to we need to get certain returns on our capital. And if companies are not taking care of ESG and are not focusing on that, then um, the potential for that return on capital is, you know, either either nil or, or losses as opposed to paying back on the investment.
0: Okay, and Lisa, this uh, focus on ESG issues in the in the future, what do you think that's going to mean in a in a practical sense, and what are the implications for corporates and and how they go about uh, developing and implementing supply chain strategies?
3: I think they're going to be taking it into account in every project that they do, and what I'm noticing is is that it's becoming more of a strategic priority and and um, becoming a priority. Down the chain, if you will, at least in the larger organizations. Um, and so they'll, it, it, you know, the, the good news is that even in the small organizations, the two, you know, can come together as one in essence, like the, the ES, ESG uh, priorities can be the same as reducing waste and improving profit, et cetera, um, if if done well, so uh, they they'll come together, you know, on the same page eventually. But it's starting in the larger companies for sure.
0: Yeah, and I guess I guess there there is some evidence that pursuing these issues can lead to competitive advantage, not just by virtue of the fact that you're seen to be green and therefore you have a kind of a prestige. But in real hard-nosed terms, you become more efficient, right, in the use of resources or, or in recycling resources. So it can possibly be kind of a win-win, right? Do you think so?
3: Well, many times, yes. Uh, actually, even um, several years ago when I led the operations and supply chain for a mid-market manufacturer, we were able to um, lead several projects to reduce packaging, to um, uh, to become more uh, green that uh, helped us also gain in terms of uh, profitability and, uh, you know, the, the bottom line. So, yeah. it you know, it, it's definitely uh, coming true so long as you do it
0: right.
2: Yeah. Uh, gonna, and Patrick, I'm just going to jump in on that and say that the large corporates which have um, vast supply chains, oftentimes made up of midsize and small and much smaller size companies that are upstream from them, are the large corporates are being held accountable for uh, low carbon, zero carbon economies. And they're driving their supply chain to align with them to take on the practices that they know make a difference. Um, because at the end of the day, it isn't the mid or the small size company who's publicly has an ESG scorecard. You know, it's a, it's a really large company is doing it and they can't get there unless, they're, um, unless they're, they have vendors upstream who are aligned with them Um, are feeding the same types of information that there's total transparency. And one of the things that I'm seeing is that a lot of the large corporates are also trying to streamline their supply chain and reduce the number of people that they're working with so that that information and that transparency and that trust is is clearer, is more stable and more solid and less of a logistics management issue.
0: Yeah, that brings me to a related point that I wanted to put to you, uh, Antonio. Um, You know, companies have uh, bills of materials, be very uh, complex. And some of them have been talking about kind of blowing up the bomb, you know, the bill of materials, looking into it to see what's coming from where and what the complexity is. And um, some corporate clients that I've been talking to have said that they've only really been able to do that to a a rather shallow degree because of the complexity and the scale of the undertaking. So what do you think uh, companies will do about uh, the complexity of their bills of materials and the inventory levels that they that they hold, and and how how will they get to the bottom of it? Given uh, the complexity and the scale of the of the challenge.
1: And this is this is a great question, and uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, clients of mine uh, are dealing with, with this uh, challenge of of uh, complexity of the uh, bill of uh, uh, material and and the inventory. Uh, uh, as, as general, and also not not only in in manufacturing, but also in distribution companies that, uh, that they have, a, because they have a very wide uh, portfolio of products and uh, and uh, goods. So so uh, uh, probably they will uh, uh, have to uh, uh, go and um, optimize this uh, portfolio, and uh, this is a. Uh, uh, this is the, the the topic that i uh, I'm working on with with a lot of my uh, clients and uh, and it, it is a never-ending story so that comes in in waves uh, because you have to have new products you have to have new uh, materials and uh, in some uh, cycles uh, it comes to 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 uh, to extend that it is too complex and then you have to uh, 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 make some uh, uh, uh new arrangements and optimization so um the, this this complex uh, world uh especially now with with this uh, pandemic uh uh, uh caused uh, restructuring of uh, supply chain uh there will there will be a very uh, uh a large uh, amount of of uh, optimization going on uh, because because there there will be a lot of um, uh, uh, substitution of, of uh, some of uh, components from from far, from uh, far east uh, in, in um, maybe in near uh, uh, near shore uh, destinations so, so it will uh, de- 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 definitely there will be um, uh, very interesting times there'll,
0: for will be a lot, a lot of work for supply chain Just yeah, yeah. like you and this <laughs> <theory. Okay. laughs> helping companies and th- th- this one a uh, question for you uh, Antonio as well so um, Brexit you know Brexit I guess is more of an issue in my part of Europe than it is in, in yours but it's another one of uh, a series of events that have occurred over the last 5 years or so you know such as the trade wars tensions between the US and China, increased uh, climate-related disasters such as fires, floods, and hurricanes, and now a global uh, pandemic. And these are kind of all having uh, deep and long-lasting impacts on the configuration of um, international supply chains. So what kind of changes are you seeing or do you think we will see? And how are companies best going to prepare themselves to cope with the future? You kind of hinted there at a kind of a a nearshoring, a kind of coming back closer to home so what do you see happening uh on a global level with supply chains to deal to cope with these uh disruptions yeah well,
1: what what we learned uh from from this uh, uh only in in a few years back uh in in this history this experience uh, 10 years we, we had uh i don't know uh, uh, tens of of disruptions different uh, uh causes but uh, but the same stress the same uh, shock uh for for supply chains for or business, and uh, uh, if, if there is one thing that we learned, uh, it is that uh, there, there will be always changes, there will be always disruptions, and uh, and that we have to be uh, ready for for uh, for that. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, another thing uh, uh, that uh, we have to change paradigm of uh, of uh, predicting. Uh, of forecasting, and uh, there there is less and less possible to to predict future on the basis of uh, of the history of of our experience or experience uh, uh, from anybody. So so uh, we have we will have to um, deal with future in uh, some uh, uh, some a uh, uh, different way than than we did in past. So. We'll have to try to, to um, uh, deal with this, uh, or, or to predict some, some scenarios, uh, uh, and uh, and uh, be prepared for, for any any of them. Yeah. So I think this is this is lesson that we learned uh, from, from from this.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, Lisa, with this ability to predict and forecast basically gone out the window, uh, we see the kind of the the strategic horizon is is shrinking. So, how how do you see in, in practical terms uh, companies will will cope with that? What 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 will it mean for making and doing strategy in the, in supply chain? How will they how will they cope?
3: Well. They're going to need to do more of a strategic sprint, so we can, um, you know, have a shorter term view, but yet still be able to predict out far enough. So it's it's just going to be that tightrope, if you will. Uh, with with that said, though, I am seeing that companies are, uh, you know, they're they're still able to predict. It's just a it's a challenge that you know you have to do a lot more than just take historical information into account. Uh, so there's a, there's several things you have to do in order to um, put that together. So what, what I'm seeing them do is, you know, look at their demand uh, process. And then they're, like you said, they're having to um, make strategic decisions on the fly. And they're also having to set their supply chain up so that they can um, make sure that They're they're more flexible and agile because things are going to be changing all the time. And so they have to be prepared for that and be resilient. So really, it's it's about creating a resilient supply chain that can change with evolving conditions. It is just going to be It's going to require more skills, really, the bottom line to make to make all that happen successfully.
0: It almost becomes a constant thing, doesn't it? That it's all it's happening more frequently that, you know, you know, it's not about doing strategy once a year or doing it once every five years. It's something you're going to have to be doing all the time and revising all the time, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and actually, you know, there's the sales, inventory, operations planning process, uh, which, which uh, we do with clients all the time. I'm seeing it become more and more popular, uh, even, you know, with large companies as well as small, because it's one way to keep all those pieces uh, in sync on a monthly basis, although you're predicting out, you know, could be... Yeah a year to several
0: years. Yeah. Mark, uh, uh, Lisa touched there on, on resilience. Um, how do you see the dilemma or the tension between resilience on the one hand that companies will need to create now to deal with this kind of volatility and then this kind of um, requirement and almost an addiction that we have to efficiency? Um, so are those two things compatible or are companies going to struggle to um, to balance those two factors?
2: Well, I, I think um, the companies who are leading who are leading on this are finding ways to balance it because you've had for more than a decade, um, carbon disclosure, water disclosure, you know, um, foresty stewardship. So, you know, corporations are actually looking at how do they use forest to manufacture paper and paperboard in a way where there'll still be more forest to be able to manufacture paper and paperboard in the future. Or you know, are there ways to be more efficient in using water, um, so that they're putting less stress on what is is fast becoming a very scarce resource for sustaining human life as well as sustaining manufacturing and distribution operations? Um, there are also large companies who have, you know, made made some greenwash type claims about they're paying attention to this, but really haven't started on the journey, and uh, are going to have to play. Catch up when they get hit with a catastrophic event, or when um, they start losing uh, significant amounts of market share.
0: Okay. Um, what I might do, just to as we come towards the end, maybe just ask we each one of you to um, you know give me a, a a few comments in in general on just your 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 view of the future. You know, maybe just 30, 40 seconds as we as we as we roll up. So I'll, maybe I'll start with uh, Antonio.
1: Okay, I, I will uh, uh, go with, with this uh, question. Last question: uh, uh, resilience and uh, and efficiency uh, or efficacy. So, so it's uh, actually this is the, the main question because, as Elisa uh, 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 said, uh, the supply chains will will have to be more uh, flexible and uh, this actually doesn't go uh, together with with uh, with efficiency so so um, uh, there will be some uh, 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 new new costs in in this uh, in this uh, supply chain uh, new new supply chain infrastructure and restructuring and uh, uh, the the main question is uh, will uh, uh, consumers and uh, uh, end consumers uh, be uh, uh, ready to pay for for this, and uh, of course I I agree that uh, the leading corporations are um, the, the one that that uh, managed to to uh, uh, incorporate or or use uh, the uh, both things and resilience and uh, and uh, efficient uh, efficiency. So so I think this this is the the main question in, in the future. This balance. Between resilience, uh, this uh, 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 flexibility and uh, and uh, efficiency. Okay, thanks, Antonio. Lisa, final comment from you?
3: Absolutely. So, agreed with Antonio that uh, we we need to find a way to be successful with uh, being resilient and responsive. I think that responsiveness and the customer, uh, the customer is has been gaining in importance uh, for many years with the Amazon effect, but it's really shown through in terms of, uh, you know, with with this uh, pandemic as to how limited we are in being responsive when our supply chain uh, is lengthy and far away, et cetera. So how do we become both resilient and responsive? And how are we going to take into account changing customer Requirements and changing customer behaviors, uh, because that's um, absolutely um, increasing during this pandemic. So, in order to do all that successfully, we we have to uh, we have to just uh, be better, and um, utilize some of these uh, strategies we've been talking about today.
2: Right, and uh, Mark, final comment. Well, when I look at what the focus of our conversation has been with the vaccine rollout and supply chain, um, there's two things. One is is we're in a period of of tremendous dislocation. And I don't think that um, in our, our professional careers, this will be the last time that we see this. I mean, there will be other types. I mean, the, the last outbreak or pandemic, if it was, was Ebola and that was six or seven years ago. Um, so we're gonna get through this one, but there will be another, another one that has to be managed. Um, I think the, the dislocation is happening in terms of how people are working so the requirements of uh, B2B type clients are going to change drastically in terms of use of office space, in terms of the types of equipment and products they're going to need to support their businesses. So while everyone is working diligently to be adaptive and flexible in the current environment, you know, people are working to toward getting through what we have in front of us now. But there's massive shifts that are going to happen or that are happening and will continue to happen once uh, we have achieved herd immunity through um, the vaccine distribution. Thank you, Mark. Well, guys, thank you very much.
0: It's been a fascinating uh, conversation and a pleasure talking to you all. So many thanks for being here with us today. Uh, thanks also to all of our listeners. And remember that if you would like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com uh, and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, on Amazon, Google Books, or Apple Books. Thank you for listening and keep. keep Keep well until next time.